Hey, will you bring me like a, a stool and just put it? morning, everybody. Good to be with you. I'm going to ask you to pray with me that God would anoint our time. So, Lord, we ask that your spirit will come and work through your word. Thank you so much that you, Christ, sent the spirit to be active in our lives, uh, that we would have uh, truly a moment-by-moment encounter with the living God. We pray that you will encounter us in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, in our very being. Father, we know you are jealous for your church. We know you are jealous as... uh, Jesse was speaking to, Lord, for you desire to know us and to walk with us. And so, Lord, we come and we bring ourselves to you this morning, walk in our midst, and use your word to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So in in 1977-78, I lived in a little town called Heidelberg, Germany. It was, my dad was in the army, and we lived near a little area called Schwetzingen. And in Schwetzingen, uh, they had what was called a the Heidelberg Rodden Gun Club. And so the Rodden Gun Club was where all the military guys would go out and they would shoot all kinds of different things. And then it was a fishing club and it was a golf course and all those kinds of things. So I'm out there at the Heidelberg Rodden Gun Club, little 11-year-old chubby Harvey, right? Just ready to shoot his gun and do all this. And so my dad, the first gun I ever shoot in my life is this musket and I, you know, I'm 11 years old, right? I mean, I'm 57 now, and I still don't know up from down. I mean, which end of the gun is, you know, you're supposed to act like? I mean, I drive a Ford Fusion, okay? I mean, that's who I am, all right? So <laughs> laugh and go with that, all right? So anyway, I, nothing wrong with guns, but I, I, I so I, I'm shooting this in a little 11-year-old Harvey, and my dad gets this musket, and he puts it in my hand, he, you know, he's like, aim that way, right? And so behind the, the target, right, there's this mound of dirt, and I'm shooting at this gun, uh, shooting this musket, and I shoot the musket, and, I, and, and, and my little 130-pound body goes that far, as far that way as the musket went that way, right? I mean, it just kicked like a mule right in my face, knocked me on my keister, uh, and knocked me down. And so from 11 years old, my first experience with a gun was, you touch those, they knock you on your butt, Right? And so everybody has first experiences with different things. So when I moved to Idaho, one of my friends gave me, you know, a gun safety course. And I'd already taken a hunter safety course in Colorado. And I never hunted for anything, but I would hike with a gun. And I looked like I knew what I was doing, right? Had a brand new blaze orange vest. I covered them centimeters because there was, you know, in the class they said you had to have a certain number of centimeters covered in blaze orange. And so he talked me through it, and he gave me these four rules, okay, for gun safety, or these rules for gun safety. And, and, and these are important, and, and let me just walk you through them for a second. So when it comes to a gun, it says you should treat all firearms as if they are always loaded, right? So you guys know this, right? I love, I feel like I'm in Puerto Rico watching a baseball game. I went to Puerto Rico and watched a baseball game one time, and the women were yelling at the pitcher about the pitches that he should throw because the women knew the game better than the guys did. So I'm looking around the room and all the women are going, yep, okay, that's the first rule we know. Because all of you, you know, Bonnie's out there and the Bonnie and Clyde, you know exactly what I'm about to read in the next three, right? So the first one is treat them as if they're always loaded. Number two, never point your firearm at anything you're not willing to destroy, right? Really good lesson and number to know, right? And the third one was never have a firearm loaded with you after 14 beers. I went, okay. (laughs) 13 beers, you're good. 14, maybe put the gun down, right? So it's on here. Number three, 
Always keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on target and you've decided to shoot, right? Don't walk around with your finger on the trigger. Actually, you know, keep it off of there, right? So let's, let's go through them again real quick. They're always loaded. Act as though they're always loaded. Never point it at anything you're not willing to destroy. Number three, don't walk around with your finger on the trigger. Wait to put your finger on the trigger when you're ready to do something. And then number four, know your target and know what's beyond it, right? I mean, those are four basic things that you realize and you understand. In 2020, there were over 10,000 more people who were killed in the United States by car accidents than by people who were shot, okay, that were shot and killed, right? We still drive cars, right? My daughter, my last child, just went through Hunter safety course called Driver's Ed, you guys have seen it, right? I mean, she thinks she's out there, you know, playing a video game, playing dodge them. And I'm, no, I'm joking, right? I mean, we, there are things that are in life that are dangerous, that they come with rules. Today's parable is dangerous and it comes with rules. Today, we're going to talk about the shrewd manager and the word shrewd right off. I'm going to ask you a question, you know, don't respond by raising your hand. But when I say the word shrewd, do you think positive or negative? Everybody has a response to that. It's usually one of those words that doesn't just sit there. You either have a positive response to shrewdness or you have a negative response to shrewdness. And it usually has to do with the first person in your life when they were shrewd, how it affected you. Just like little 11-year-old Chubby Harvey shooting that musket, the first time you ran across a shrewd person in your life, you built a picture of what shrewdness is, right? So you have a picture in your mind. I want to contend with you this morning that Jesus actually puts forward shrewdness and he says, why aren't you? Why aren't you shrewd? Now, one of the things that we a lot of times do with the word shrewd is we equate the word shrewd with immoral. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say it's immoral to be shrewd. Jesus actually says, be shrewd. He doesn't tell us to do anything else immoral. He's not telling us to do anything immoral here. So let's look at the word shrewd for just a minute. We're going to go into Luke chapter 16. And we're going to see a set of verses as it relates to this. And so Jesus is telling a parable. Let me give you the setup for a second though. So we've been doing the kingdom of God for the year and we've been doing the parables during the course of the summer. And with the kingdom of God, usually those parables, when he's talking to someone, there's either one that he does out on the porch where all the neighbors hear it. That's all the scribes and Pharisees. So he's got all the religious guys, you know, coming down on him out on the porch. This one is one that's different. This one's inside the house. It's going to be a family meeting and we're sitting down. He's sitting with these kids because what are the disciples? They're 14 to 23. So they'd have been over here in this group of people. That's how old these people are that he's talking to, right? So the 14 to 23 year olds, that's who Jesus is talking to in the room. And he has a meeting and here's what he tells them in the parable that's a private parable. And oh, by the way, if you're a follower of his, it's a private parable for you too. So let's look at it. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man who was a manager uh, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Most of you or most of us, when we think about this parable, if we've read it before, we think that he stole possessions. We almost kind of put in the word he stole. He's not. This is not about stealing. He's not saying he stole his possessions. He's saying you wasted my possessions. Easiest thing in the world. Spend somebody else's money. Right? No repercussions to it. So here he's coming along. The owner, let's put this guy, let's call the rich man an owner, a, a, a boss, or the chairman of the company. Okay? So whatever it is, right? Whatever one of those is. So it's the owner. Uh, and so we have this guy who's the owner. He comes back. He looks at the manager and he says, you've been wasting my possessions. Let's look at verse 2. See how the story unfolds. 
So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? So the owner, the rich guy, the, 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 he comes back from vacation. Maybe he's been tending to his other business affairs or whatever. But when he gets back, somebody gives him a piece of intel that says, hey, the guy you put in charge, he's wasting stuff. Right. So he's got some intel. So he knows some other people in the organization who've given him a little bit of information and said, your stuff's being wasted. So he asked the guy, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. Now, in this scenario, it's almost implied that he got fired right there. But we're going to find out later. He actually didn't get fired. He's still inside the company. But he's saying, you can't keep doing this. You're not you're just not going to happen. So let's get the facts. The rich owner was away. The manager was lousy. So we call this the parable of the shrewd manager. We ought to start out with calling it the parable of the lousy manager, right? Because if he's watching your stuff and he's wasting your possessions, that's a pretty lousy manager, right? And here's an important thing that we all ought to figure out in life for a second, okay? Revelation 19 through 22 tells us this, is that someday we will all give an account to the guy who owns it all, Okay? We will all someday give an account to the guy who owns it all. Now, let's have a little Christian moment for a second. As Christians, we are all stewards of what God owns. Psalms tells us that God owns all the gold, God owns all the silver, and God owns everything within the earth. And so if we're a Christian, our worldview is God owns everything, and he's given you an allotment of it to take care of. You are a steward of that. Okay? So he's looked at you, and he said, manage this. Be a steward. And in that... When we spend it all, we're usually not dishonest if it's been put to us all to use. There's no stealing going on. He said, hey, it's all in your name. Handle it. And when you come back, you'll give an account of it. But one of the things that we have to ask is, are we wasting it? Because we're not asking his guidance, his input, and his deliberate instructions on how we're to spend it. So this guy gets called on the carpet. All right. Verse 3. You can follow along, by the way. There's a handout there on your, on your uh, chair. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? Now, one of the things that happens when there's accounting, remember this is being taught inside the house, not out on the porch where the neighbors hear it all. So one of the things that happens is he's talking to the kids, the disciples, and he says to them, uh, he shows them this paragraph, he tells them this parable. And in this, what you want to notice is, is that when the lousy manager faces up with the realities of accountability, he says to himself, what am I going to do about this? And this is a big moment. This is a big moment, and I think Jesus is trying to point him to, this is the point where the guy decides, what is he going to do? And it's at this moment that he decides to be shrewd. He decides to be shrewd. My master's taking away my job. And by the way, when we make an account of ourselves, the first thing we do is, is that we size up everything. I guarantee you, if you're living in a stress-filled life right now, I could give you about two seconds and I say, okay, what are your biggest problems? How are they dogging you? And what does that ice pick in your thigh feel like and look like right now? And what does it represent? You know exactly what it is, right? My sales friends, right? I mean, you know your number and you know where you're at on that number and you know what day in the month it is. And you know what month in the quarter it is, right? Right, Rhett? We know exactly where we're at. So the guy takes an account of a situation and he says, he's going to take away my job. And then he says this, this is who I am. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Now, this is a parable. Don't you love it how Jesus throws the edges out there? He goes, I'm too proud to beg for anything and I'm too lazy to work for anything. The guy's taking this account of himself. You got to love it. You got to love how Jesus says, listen, well, you know, piddle paddle around on this. Let's just lay it all out. I'm lazy 
and I'm proud. This is a beautiful story, right? Whenever someone I meet new, they'll go, hey, you know, because guys do this, right? We get around a guy and the guy goes, hey, you know, uh, yeah, what do you do? Uh, what do you do for a living, right? Because what we do, we're sizing each other up. My standard answer is always the same. I do the same thing that everybody else does for a living, as little as possible. Right? We're all lazy. <laughs> we're just all lazy to whatever degree we're willing to let up with, right? My uncle used to always use this line, it's good enough for who it's for. It's good enough for who it's for, right? This guy makes an assessment of himself and he says, I'm lazy and I'm proud. And then he asks, okay, what do I do? Verse four, he kind of, he moves on from lazy and proud to verse four and he says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, he knows already in his mind, he's like, I'm going to lose his job. This is out, right? I can't finagle my way out of it. The books are going to show what the books are and all those kinds of things. I'm going to lose my job. People will welcome me into their houses. Here's what he does. He takes a flash course in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. When I first came here to the church, I met with Steve Botsford, and I was, uh, uh, as a part of that process of him being hired, I bought him a book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I bought myself one, and I said, you got to understand, we are in the people business. And you got to understand how to connect with people and how to understand people. This guy says to himself, I, I know how to connect with people. I'm going to connect with people. So how do I connect with people? So then he goes to verse 5. Let's see what his plan is and let's see how he works it out. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? So he's still on the payroll, or otherwise this guy wouldn't have showed up, right? I mean, they're being called into the company office. So he calls in a guy, and he says, how much do you owe? Now, there's a couple things that are important here. One, the rich owner didn't know that his company was actually not in good stead. Fair? He says, it's come to my attention. Somebody told me about it. So the, so the rich owner had done what? Taken his eye or her eye off the ball. So they weren't paying attention either. They were expecting their manager to pay all the attention. The manager wasn't paying attention. And then we get to this place and it says, so he called him and he said, how much do you owe my master? I think he honestly didn't know. I think he honestly didn't know. He wasn't paying attention to the books. He didn't know where the numbers were. So in this scenario, he's kind of doing that. But here's what I, I think he did. Now this is just interjecting into the story. I think the guy sat down, he started chatting with him. He goes, hey, Fred, how's things going over in the vineyard? Is everything cool? And I'm like that. Hey, we need to talk about your bill and what you owe. Because, you know, guys, the big boss is in town and we need to, you know, get our accounts up to shore and I'm like that. How much do you owe again? And he said it in a way that like, you know that I know, but go ahead and tell me so that you know. I think that's what he did. I don't know if that was true or not. Leroy, I wasn't there, but I mean, I'm guessing that's how people do it, right? I think he looked at him and said, how much do we owe you? And you know what? When you owe somebody a debt, you know the number, right? You know the number. That's why you avoid them. You don't want to talk to them. You're like, oh, gosh, man. Right? I mean, you see their number come up on the phone, you know, and you're right, tap out of office, not back for another four years, or whatever it is your response is, right, on your car, on your phone, right? Your boss is calling about your quota at September 30th, Q3 is about to end, and you don't want to talk to him yet because you still got two dials you got to make, right? I mean, you understand this world. So let's see what he says. So verse six, so in verse six, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Now you've got to understand something about agriculture for a minute. 900 gallons of olive oil is a lot of oil. And you got to remember back, I mean, these people did not have much. They didn't have banks. They stored oil, right? The ability to, to you know, the farm, right? The reason why they built elevators, why they built elevators. Elevators stored wealth. They stored wealth, right? 
We store wealth on our devices. We store wealth on, in accounts. We have different levels and ways that we store wealth. But they stored wealth in oil and in commodities. And one of the hardest things to do is actually to keep that commodity from spoiling, right? So 900 gallons of oil, this is a big account. This is not just some guy who owes, you know, four, four gallons of oil. Remember the, the, the widow in, in the Old Testament that only had eight jars that she could gather together and God filled them all up? And that was an enormous amount. 900 gallons is a big account. So, he, so this is where the shrewdness comes in. Now, anybody in business knows that cash flow is extremely important to your business. You can have a really fine-tuned machine. You can have a really great thing going. You can have orders going out the wazoo. But if you don't have cash, you ain't got nothing. Cash is to the business what blood is to your body. You drain the blood of body, we ain't got a body. Right? So cash is king. And so in this scenario, what happens is he's still got his job, but he knows he's going to lose his job. Here's what he does. He realized in his shrewdness that the owner had written it all off. The accounts the guy had, he had written them all off. And the guy says to himself, you know, little's better than nothing. And so he says, this, the manager says to the guy, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Now, there's two levels of shrewdness in here that you ought to recognize. One, he says, you write it down. I don't want my, my handwriting on this. That might be a little shrewd, okay? The second one of it is, is he says, hey, cut your bill in half. And I think here was where the shrewdness was. He recognized that for every business owner, cash is king, and that the, and that the owner would rather have 50 cents of 100%, 50 cents of 100% of than 100% of zero. It's called factoring today. You can sell your AR, right? You can sell your AR to somebody who just goes out and collects all the debt because why? You don't want the, you don't want the trouble of having to go beat on doors and do like that. You sell it to a guy, he goes out there and he gets, you know, you pay him X percentage and it's called factoring. He does that. Well, what he does is he does some factoring in the midst and he, I think he's where he's the second place. He's shrewd. He looks at this guy and he says, this guy's good for 450. So he asks him for 450. So he asked him for 450, and he gets his 450. Look at verse 7 and see what happens. The next guy comes in, and he asks the second, how much do you owe? And the guy says, 1,000 bushels of wheat. Now let's think about the owner for just a second. This guy isn't just in business. He's in industries. He's not only got olive oil, he's also got bushels of wheat. My guess is he's got several different divisions that he's coming back and looking at. And so this guy runs a book of business that's got you know, quite a bit of the product line. And notice what he gives to the second guy. A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, he told him, take your bill, make it 800. Now this is again shrewd because he looks at the guy and he thinks to himself, this guy can probably pay 80% of the deal and he'd love a 20% off, right? He'd love a 20% off. The first guy needed 50 and, and he got 50 and he got 450. I, I don't know what you, what you know about commodities, but I think the oil was worth more than the wheat, in my opinion. Right? And I think he was happy to get that. Even a bushel of wheat today is what, five fifty, six bucks a bushel, maybe four or something. I don't know. It depends on where you have it and where it's stored. Oil was worth a lot and a lot more. So that four fifty would have been a lot more cash than even the bushels of wheat. One guy gets a fifty percent off deal, another guy gets a twenty percent off deal. Here's the shrewdness. It's not the amount that he marked them down. It's that he knew how to get as much cash for the owner as he possibly could get, and he cut his losses. And you know what he does? He goes back to the owner, and he does it. Let's see how the owner responds. So here we are. We got the Bible. Let's read verse 8. So verse 8 says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now we get a bit of the immoral, 
right? He was dishonest. It's not saying he was dishonest in the way that he got the 50 and the 80. He's saying, I think in the well-rounded picture, he was being dishonest because he wasn't truly doing his job. Not doing our job is dishonesty. It's dishonesty, right? I mean, if we don't do what they ask us to do, and we still expect to be paid for it, that's dishonest, right? But here in this, he says, he commended him because he acted truly. I wasn't there, you and I weren't there, but I think that the guy, and I don't know, I've been on business meetings like this as well, we're like, you believe it? We got 50% on our money. I thought we were, I thought we could just bend over and kiss that money goodbye. That was shrewd. Now, what does Jesus look to? Remember, we're in the house, not on the porch. Scribes and Pharisees aren't listening. Unless we're yelling, they aren't hearing through the windows, right? So here we have it. We're in the house. How does Jesus now turn the story? So let's look at it. Verse 9. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. He looks around at his kids and he says, those guys out there understand shrewdness a lot better than we do. A lot better than we do. Go back to the gun for a moment. Those guns are used for a very purposeful purpose, right? I mean, my father-in-law and their family, they didn't eat back in the 70s if they didn't have a gun and they couldn't shoot an elk or a deer up in the high country in Colorado. That's how they fed themselves. A gun can be used for extremely purposeful things. It's a deterrent. It keeps bad people from doing things, right? I mean, all kinds of reasons why those things are really valuable and useful in process. In this scenario, Jesus looks out, and I think he's looking out past the porch, and he says, look, we are being naive. Now, we are sheep. He calls us sheep. And sheep are intensely trusting, but sheep can also be intensely naive, right? It's like that part in the movie where you're looking around and you see the wolf coming up foot by foot by foot, and you see the sheep just standing there going, and then you just go back to eating, right, and doing all that. Is, is sheep can be phenomenally naive. I put at the top of this, you know, that we're called to be shrewd sheep. It goes together. Jesus looks at him and says, the world is a lot shrewder than we are. And I think we could hear this in 2023 and hear it said like this. We don't have to be rude, but we can be shrewd. And in our shrewdness, we can still be godly. Because shrewdness with godliness is a beautiful thing. Shrewdness with rudeness is a terrible thing. Remember I asked you earlier, where did you learn the word shrewd? And do you have a positive or a negative connotation to it? I'd like to let you see Jesus's positive connotation that he actually commends this and he says, hey guys, let's don't be naive. I don't think we need to be naive. I have not trained our children to be naive. I've trained my kids to be shrewd. Scripture actually says, Jesus said, be what? Shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove, right? Shrewd. Sheep. The problem is, is that we've kind of made it either or when it's really both and. We do that with guns, right? We say, well, guns are terrible. Guns are great. Well, guns can do be terrible. And guns can be phenomenal, right? It's about who holds this, right? Guns don't kill people. People kill people, right? Cars don't kill people. People driving cars kill people. And look, I mean, admit, in my little Ford Fusion, I'm not a great driver, so I'm careful, right? But he commends you to be phenomenal and to learn from the people about this concept of shrewdness. Let's go to one, one more verse. Let's go to verse 9. Hold the thought because we're going to come back to it here for a second. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, here's where Jesus does the flip. He takes the practical 
and makes it spiritual. He says, like Dale Carnegie got, money is a, is a resource where you can use it to build friends and influence people. It's a place where, I mean, I guarantee you money is in part of every one of your lives. You're thinking about money right now. You're th you thought about money this morning. You thought about the last time you checked at your bank account. You thought about money and resources. You, it's a constant thought that goes on. A business manager is constantly thinking about cash flow and how are we doing and how are we managing that? Do we need to move things around? Are we in our high season, our low season? All those kinds of things. And Jesus just comes along here and he says, by the way, when you think about all that, it really does matter. Now, I'm going to mess with you guys up in the stage there for a second. If you would, move to, to verse 13 for a second. We're going to jump out of sequence for a second. But look at verse 13. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You will be either devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus is saying something I think very, very important here. And that is he's saying the way you can serve God and use money is be shrewd. Be shrewd. Be shrewd with the way you handle it. Be precise in the way you handle it. Use it in purposeful and favorable ways. Understand that who you award a contract to and who you don't award a contract to has a lot of bearing on what ends up happening in your life, who you do business with and who you choose not to do business with. He says it's simply a tool. You can't serve them both. So the first thing he says is, is you can't serve both God and money. But what you can do is you can use money as you serve God. See that? We don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to hate it. And we don't have to love it. And it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. He's saying well, a couple of quick points. One, let God be your God. And two, be shrewd in how you handle money because money matters and has impact on a lot of stuff. That's an important teaching here. That's a very important teaching. Let's go back. So jumped ahead of the story. Let's go back to, I think it was verse 12 is the next verse for us to read. Um, um, yeah, verse 12. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you the property of your own? Now we jump back one more to verse 11. Look at what verse 11 says. So property, if you can't take care of your own, uh, somebody else's, how will you ever get your own? And then in verse 11, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches. Jesus ties this story together and he says, look, money is just a tool and how you operate with other people with it should be influenced by who you are in me. Remember, it's inside the house. Kids, listen, money is a tool that we use. For them, it's everything out there. But for us, it's simply a tool that God gives us to use. We as Christians are called to be shrewd and not naive. You guys remember the story, the parable of Jesus with the five talents or the talents, the three guys with the talents? The guy with five had five. What did he do? He went out and risked it. He got into business. He did other work with it and he doubled it. Some people are five talent people. You give them a lot, they make big, right? Okay. And I, I mean, I just know some guys. I mean, they just do things, they make money at it and they make money at it in big ways, right? Then he gets one that's got two talents. That person does what? They take their two talents, they double it up. And Jesus says and commands him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I give you more. Then the one with one does what? He hides it in the ground and he puts it in the floor. And do you remember his response? Just off the top of your head, what is his response? He's put to account just like this. And he says, I knew you to be shrewd and therefore I hid it. See, here's what happens a lot of times. We think that shrewdness should cause us to be fearful and hide stuff. 
God looks at it and says, be shrewdful, be shrewd, and use it and go engage the world in it. Don't be afraid of it. Now, for sure, it is a nasty, dark, egregious, crazy world out there. On the bottom of your page, look at what I wrote here. It was on the bottom of the second page there. Shrewdness is like peanut butter. It's fair on its own, but what you put on it makes a big difference. How many of you live a crazy life where you just eat peanut butter sandwiches with nothing else on it? Anybody in a room like this, there might be one or two of you. I'm messing with you. Thanks for raising your hand, right? Think about this. I eat peanut butter with nothing but peanut butter. It gets stuck to the top of my mouth. I mean, I got to have my phone on when I'm dialing 911 because I may not make it through this thing without a lubrication to get that baby down, right? I mean, you got to have some serious chewing skills to make sure you get it right. I'm being silly with you. Shrewdness by itself is dangerous. Shrewdness by itself is rude. Shrewdness by itself is greedy. Shrewdness by itself doesn't care about people, only cares about possessions. And Jesus knew that. That's why he said, use things to influence people for the good. Shrewdness by itself, not so great. Shrewdness on its own is often rude and self-serving. I've written it down on your piece of paper. Shrewdness with greed destroys relationships and puts people and makes them objects, right? We think of what, what, what's that, you know, that, the old the Christmas story, right? Where Ebenezer Scrooge is shrewd as they get, right? Has no friends. Look at the bottom one. Shrewdness with bitterness often results in a lonely, wealthy person. Great, you're shrewd. Nobody likes you. We all hate you. Right? You're Scrooge. Have a great time by yourself. Shrewdness with anger, malice, or wrath is spiteful. Shrewdness with slander destroys communities. But shrewdness with good things actually makes a great difference. Look down here on the bottom. Shrewdness in the context of other character traits of the Bible Bible is beneficial. Shrewdness with compassion can be a practical help that makes a real difference in someone's life. Several times as a pastor, over 30 years of pastoring, what I've done is, is I've called up people that, that were companies or people that owe, were owed money by people and they just didn't know how to handle it and didn't know what to do. And I call them up as a third-party broker and go, hey, look, they're not going to be able to give you this, right? And I, I know you just want something. How do we figure out to get a number that works really well for you? And it's amazing how you always get down. And I found it's right about 47 to 54% is where people end up going, you know, I just take the money. Right? You don't want to go through the law and you don't want to go through, well, we've got a corporate accountant and or a corporate lawyer and they'll blow them up. I know, but you don't blow people up. You want to keep customers because those people have 30 friends and you don't want to just leave you. So how about we just find a number that gets you something to help you become whole? Shrewdness with compassion actually can help people in times of difficulty and need. Shrewdness with mercy and grace helps people find their way to life in Jesus. One of the reasons why we don't have a great witness sometimes is because I guarantee you there are people that have driven by on, on State Street during the morning while they've looked out and they've looked at your cars and my cars and someone today has muttered under the breath, what's a naive sheep, Right? I found that shrewdness is a great evangelistic tool because they at least want to know that we kind of get it in life. They want to know that we understand the world we live in. They want to know that we we see the world that we're in, but we are going to another world. And so our values from the kingdom actually impact the way we live here and now. See, I think shrewdness is evangelistic. I think shrewdness is one of those things that men really care about a lot. Not that women don't. I think some of the most shrewd people I've ever met are women, uh, especially women in a business environment. Incredibly shrewd and gifted because they have a spatial learning that understands the whole picture. 
which I think is fabulous. One of the most amazing people I ever met was a bank president who, who she was just unbelievable in her ability to find exactly the right answer. She was incredibly shrewd, coupled with incredible understanding of the people in the room. She, you know, what's the phrase? Read the room. Read the room, shrewd. God is elevating EQ. He's saying how you understand people really does matter. So in that environment, when we, share, when we have shrewdness with grace and mercy, we help people with Christ. When we have shrewdness with financial savvy, it often leads to financial strength and wealth that we can turn around and use in the kingdom. We can look back at the owner and go, we had five, we got five more. And he goes, well done, good and faithful, keep going, here's some more. Shrewdness with wisdom is clever and can solve big problems. If, if shrewd is kind of a hard word for you, here's what I would do. I'd borrow from the Brits. When the Brits say the word clever, they mean shrewd. Oh, he's clever. Oh, she's clever. What they really mean is, she's shrewd. Be shrewd. And if saying it being clever is better, great. The country of South Africa had a phenomenal financial, uh, like their secretary of finance, you know, that we have here in the States, you know, a secretary of the treasurer. His name was Trevor, and they called him Clever Trevor because he really helped them in an important moment. Be clever as the people in the kingdom of God. Let me play with you for just a second. Peanut butter. What's your favorite thing? How many of you like peanut butter with jelly? Raise your hands. Okay, all at the same time, count of three, what kind of jelly do you like on your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Say it. All of them are good and you happen to like your own. How you're clever and how I'm clever and how you're clever are different kinds of clever, right? If you put, some, if you put peanut butter together with something really great, it's great. How many of you love peanut butter and bananas? Raise your hand. How many of you like peanut butters and pickles? Raise your hand. So I heard the oh from the rest of you. There's two people going, yes, today, this afternoon. What time are we getting out of here, Hoss? I'm ready, right? Peanut butter and pickles. Somebody came up to me after first service and said, peanut butter and mayonnaise. I'm like, peanut butter and mayonnaise. Must have been, a, you know, that sounds like a college dorm fridge, doesn't it? <laughs> what do we got? Peanut butter, a couple pieces of white bread, mayonnaise. I don't know, put it on there, right? Some guy thought it up, right? Trying to get some calories in before he goes to the gym. Peanut butter, bananas, honey, and bacon. Raise your hand. Come on. Right? Half of you are going, you said bacon, it's yes, right? I don't care. Whatever you got. It's Idaho. We'll just take bacon, right? God comes along, takes a worldly thing, and says, it's good when you put it with the right things, and it's flavorful, and it's fabulous. And there's a plethora of ways that we handle all of that. Jesus comes and gives this story, and a lot of us have scratched our heads. I think he's yelling at us this, don't be naive, be shrewd sheep. Don't be naive sheep, be shrewd. It takes shrewdness to make it in the world. Fair? I mean, my son lives in Redondo Beach, right? I mean, be shrewd, be clever. Nowhere to go, nowhere not to go. Know how to handle yourself. Know how to get out when you need to get out. Shrewdness is a fabulous thing. It's not a bad word. It's a quality thought. And this guy learned it in the moment, which tells me something else. He was a lousy manager, and he took account of himself, and he changed his ways. Shrewdness is one of those where you can use it tomorrow. But be careful. There are rules. And after 13 years, you're probably not very shrewd. You might just be rude. So there's four things to know about how to handle a gun. My friend told me if you break any two of them, somebody's going to get hurt. You can break one, maybe get away with it. You break two, you're probably going to get hurt. 
when it comes to shrewdness, let it be baked into your faith. Don't be the only ingredient in your, in your, in, in your kitchen. Let it be one of the ingredients, though. And as a part of the kingdom of God, just understand this. God is shrewd and God is wise and God is loving. And they are not antithetical. They actually come together for the blessing of God's people. Amen? Amen. Stand with me and we'll pray and finish the word of God today. Holy, living God. He's speaking. Everybody be quiet. You are a good God. And you are shrewd. And you are compassionate. And you are wise. And you are clever. And you are the insightful one of the universe. Pour your cleverness and your insightfulness and your wisdom into us as your people. And Father, we pray you would give us such grace in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Amen. See you again next week. Blessings on you. Thank you.